educational is obviously educating your customers, that really valuable content. Personal is where you're building that personal brand. You're getting people to know you and like you. Promotional is kind of testimonials, reviews, and promoting your products. Hello, and welcome to Smart Online Marketing, where I chat to switched-on entrepreneurs and experts to chat about smart strategies to build your business in a profitable and sustainable way. My name is Katie Griffin, and I am in the digital marketing game. I specialize in Google Ads, and I've worked one-on-one with clients such as Showpost, Woolmaker Law, and Snuggle Honey Kids. And I also have my own course, teaching small businesses how to grow profitably using Google Ads. If we haven't met before, I'm a kombucha-loving Real Housewives apologist, alongside my love of all things pop culture, and yes, that does include the Kardashians. I'm a mum of two, a self-confessed hippie at heart, with a love of all things business. On today's episode, I am talking to the amazing Chelsea, who owns Blossom Media, and she's a young entrepreneur. She's 22 years old, and she runs social media, so she's a social media manager and also a Facebook ads manager as well, and she's fantastic. She has so many amazing tips and tricks to that she shares in today's interview. We talk a lot about Instagram and how you can, particularly if you're an e-commerce brand, maximize your Instagram for really great results and then also how she combines that with Facebook advertising. So using the organic strategy of Instagram, social media, and then you can use that with your Facebook ads and how they play a really big role with uh, combining to get great results on paid advertising. We also talk a lot about what it's like to be a young entrepreneur and if that's had any impact on her friendships and the best and worst thing about being a young entrepreneur. Chelsea is amazing and I urge you to all go and connect with her online, follow her and see what she's doing because it's just so inspiring to see someone so young just killing it in their business. So I hope you enjoy this chat. Let's jump in. So welcome, Chelsea. Thank you so much for joining me today. No, thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Can you tell me, my lovely listeners, a bit about you and what you do? Sure. So I'm Chelsea and I own Blossom Media and we do social media marketing, uh, mostly for small businesses and mostly in the product-based e-commerce space. Uh, I specialize in Facebook and Instagram strategy, management and paid advertising. So you left out a few key things. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just jump in here. Go for it. So one of the main things that I'm so intrigued by is that you're really, not really young, I shouldn't say you're not like 13, but (laughs) you're a really young entrepreneur, which I love. And I think that, you know, starting a business can be a really overwhelming thing. And especially Mm. when you're young, you've got kind of I mean, I, my first business I started when I was, I think, 22, 23, and that's about the same age that you are now. Yeah. And you kind of, it starts off, I don't know if this happened to you, but it starts off as just like a hobby and then you're like, maybe I can make money from this. And then you're like, I'm in so deep, like I've got to kind of <laughs> figure out systems and structure and stuff like that. So was it always your goal to be a young business owner or how did you kind of fall into that? Yeah. So I did always want to be an entrepreneur. I don't know if I thought about it being when I was so young. I just kind of thought of it as a future goal. I grew up in a family of small business owners. My dad's an entrepreneur himself. So it was definitely something that I wanted to do. But yeah, not so young, I don't think. I never planned to do it so young. It just kind of happened. But um, yeah, I basically went to uni after school as you're supposed to. There's quotation marks (laughs) on supposed to there. Um, And I studied marketing. I was really interested in marketing. 
I did my first semester and just really was not loving it. I am a very, um, I don't know what the correct term is, but I learn, I learn by doing. Mm. So I think that, you know, obviously uni is a lot of theory and it just wasn't what I thought it was going to be, I think. So I thought I would defer and see if I could get a job in marketing to see how I went. So I deferred, I did a few internships few random jobs and finally found a job at a B2B marketing agency where I live. So I didn't have to commute, which was awesome. I'm from the Central Coast and usually for, you know, great jobs, we do have to commute to Sydney. So it was really wonderful that I didn't have to do that. And yeah, I spent probably two years there and then I just kind of started doing a bit of this on the side. Again, not really planning to take a full time anytime soon, but it was, yeah, it was really just a hobby. I love doing social media I'm a musician and um, I've kind of been doing my own social media for so long and building up my own personal brand. So it was just something that I, yeah, love doing. So I just did it as a hobby, as you said. And then I got my first client, which was um, a friend of mine and everything kind of grew from there. She referred me to people, but I got more referrals. And then I built my own Instagram for Blossom Media and started building up my profile that way as well. And yeah, it's kind of all grown from there. A lot of my business is from referrals, which is amazing. And I'm really proud of that because I think that means I'm hopefully doing something right. But um, yeah, I think that's kind of how I came into being a young entrepreneur. Hopefully that answered your question. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I think that like I went to uni, my background at uni is like commerce special and I majored in marketing. But I, I often question whether like I think I could be in the exact same position as a business owner today because 10 years in in marketing as in graduating 10 years ago with a marketing degree a lot of the stuff is redundant now because in particular the digital marketing landscape changes so far so I think that when you say you learn by doing like the practical elements of marketing and digital marketing in particular I don't think uni necessarily is the right place to learn that so it's interesting I think obviously uni has a place definitely for, yeah. for careers yeah. that you need for but I'm not sure if in the marketing landscape you kind of do and I think you've probably proved that. What about, you know, moving from kind of becoming a hobby to being a business owner? How did you learn the ropes that way? Yeah, good question. <laughs> I definitely didn't start out. I didn't start out. I don't even really have a business plan now. It's something that I'm working out at the moment with the business coach. But um, I definitely, yeah, didn't have a kind of a plan or any really idea of what I was doing when I started. But again, I kind of learned by doing of course, I did a lot of research, did a few courses, but a lot of it was really by doing. I did, of course, learn a lot when I was working in the previous marketing agency about, I guess, yeah, kind of how to run a business, how to communicate with clients, deadlines, all that kind of thing. And so that was really helpful. But again, obviously, I've changed that to kind of how I specifically want to run my own business. And I've just learned along the way by making mistakes, by using different platforms. Dubsado is something I started with and I would really helped me a lot because obviously it does a lot of automation. And um, I did start off with that, you know, pretty early when some people might not want to invest in platforms so early. Mm. But I think starting by investing in that kind of stuff really helped because obviously it has those foundations in place and it kind of helps you up level and helps you get everything sorted so you can kind of work with your clients and then kind of work on your business at a later date. Yeah, definitely. I think that investing in those platforms and the automation and that really helps you because especially if you're client focused Mm. as well, client facing, and you know, you've got to have some sort of project management or automation software that helps you streamline those processes. Mm. On the social media management side of things, before we chat more ads and Facebook, 
how do you develop your strategies for different clients on that side? Yeah, so I guess it is a lot of research. I have done, you know, strategies for a range of different clients. There's been some service providers. I know I do mostly product-based businesses, but a range of different types. So it is a lot of research because obviously I haven't worked in all these types of business, so businesses, so I don't know exactly how they work, but it is really helpful to, you know, research their target market, what they're looking for, research their competitors, kind of what they're doing as well. So that's kind of the first stage, I guess, would be a lot of research. Of course, also learning as much as you can about their brand. I kind of send lengthy questionnaires before I start working with someone um, to just get all the information I need. And that really helps at the start because, you know, you don't have to go back, ask questions or kind of think things right when they're actually wrong. And you just have all the information straight up, which really helps. Yeah. And then comes the research. And then really, I guess, the things that I've learned in terms of strategy. So the things that do work. I guess, all the time for most businesses, then those kind of things come into play, of course, personalized for the type of business that it is. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Of course, it takes time to kind of go through what would work best for them, what they've done so far as well. That's definitely in that research stage, um, seeing what has worked, what hasn't worked. So yeah, it's kind of, there's a few steps to it, but a lot of it is kind of knowing that best practice already and knowing what works and then all that research of their target market and their competitors and all that kind of stuff. And when you're working with e-com versus like a service or a lead-based business, mm. is there differing strategies that you use or are there different, say if we, I have listeners that have both e-commerce or maybe they've got an e-commerce or a service base, like there's might be two different people that are listening to it. Yeah. What are the main differences in running a social media account for e-com versus service base? Because I think a lot of the... Yeah you know, content prompts or social media prompts that that people invest in are Mm. mainly focused on service-based businesses. Yeah. What are those differences when you are using e-com? Yeah, I think a lot of it can be applied to both. I think people do think of them kind of as two separate, which they are in some ways, of course, because they're different types of businesses. But I definitely think some things that you do on social media for service providers can be used really well in product-based businesses as well in terms of that education. Service providers, of course, they're always educating their audience to provide trust and also valuable content so they can see that they know their stuff. And I think that can really work well in product-based businesses as well, especially kind of those ones like organic skincare when you want to educate people on why organic is best and that kind of thing where there is some education that can be surrounded by the product. Also, the personal brand. So, I'm really passionate about this and I know a lot of product-based businesses. Get on your soapbox. (laughs) I'm here. I'm ready. Um, (laughs) They they really don't like showing their face and kind of building that personal brand, which I totally get because it's scary. And sometimes you don't want to be kind of the face of your business, which is totally fine. But you do need to build some sort of a personal brand around your service-based business, of course, but also your product-based business because people buy from people and they want to see the story behind the brand they want to see the people working in the brand if you don't want to show your face as a business owner you can show your team members you can show different elements of your business that just builds that personal connection and I think yeah a lot of product-based businesses don't like doing it or don't know that they should do it because they think it's kind of for service providers but I definitely think that it's important and it can work so well. Just if you look at, I wrote a post about this the other day, if you look at <laughs> the really successful businesses that have a personal brand behind them, 
people usually start buying the products because of that personal brand and because they know the person behind it and they're really invested in their story. They know them, they like them and they trust them. Three really important factors on social media. So yeah, I think that that definitely crosses over between the two. I think it can be quite scary to put yourself out there and mm. particularly if you're e-com because you, you kind of want your products to speak for themselves. But yeah. how do you get that mix of like promo? Because you've obviously, your social media feed has to have promotion elements to it. Yeah. How do you get that mix right between like promo and just regular yeah. posts? Like how do you get that mix right or what's your balance that you use? Yeah, so I usually start with creating some content pillars and they're basically the different types of topics that you speak about on social media. So you would have one promotional, you would have one personal. I usually also like to do a kind of behind the scenes and entertainment and I'll explain a bit more about what they mean. So basically educational is obviously educating your customers, that really valuable content. Personal is where you're building that personal brand, you're getting people to know you and like you. Promotional is kind of testimonials, reviews, and promoting your products. Of course, we don't want to be really salesy in this at all, but it is where you can promote what you do, which is really important. I think sometimes people focus on the other stuff and they don't actually then promote what they're doing. I know I've done this a bit and I have to kind of get in my head and say, no, you actually have to tell people what you do and kind of sell yourself a bit as well or sell your products. And then there's kind of the entertainment where you're posting content that's entertaining to your target market. So whether that's kind of quotes, memes, humor, I can kind of be like funny behind the scenes things, anything that your target market is really going to engage with. And by kind of having these content pillars, of course, they'll change depending on the type of business and the type of content you want to post and you can post. But those are kind of good ones to start out with, I usually find. And once you have these in place, you can really get that mix of different types of content. So say you want to post two promotional a week, three personal, you know, one behind the scenes, you can kind of mix it like that. It really doesn't matter what the mix is as long as there is a mix. And you can also kind of, once you start posting the different content pillars, look at your insights, see which ones do get the most engagement and kind of post more of those when you want that engagement. And you'll kind of be able to see, yeah, what content types are working best. Sometimes it might be promotional, sometimes it might not. And sometimes you might have to push back some of that promotional content or look at it in a different way. So really kind of tell stories around your products, tell personal stories around your products as well. So it kind of overlaps between the different content pillars as well. I just wanted to ask because I'm mm. so resistant to posting like quotes because I'm just like, mm. do they really like, do they get engagement if you're just posting a quote? I don't know. I just think in the back yeah. of my head, like I think of Khloe Kardashian just posting quotes nonstop on her Instagram stories. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, mute, snooze. Like I just yeah. am not into it. So when you say quotes, like elaborate. Yeah, I will. Okay. Um, it, definitely, <laughs> it definitely depends on the type of business and also the target market. For example, I have a sweet company that's kind of targeted at parents for their kids or for the parents as well, as they like sweets as well. Um, <laughs> and we kind of post funny humour around around children that the parents are going to mm, relate okay. to. Around... So it's not like, like live your best life, those sort of quotes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, it is really kind of targeted to their... Like meme audience. sort of style quotes. Yeah, but yeah, just not kind of those broad, yeah, like live your best life inspiration <laughs> info. <laughs> yeah, because that stuff I'm just like, oh, how lame. Yeah. No, if you are going to post them, it has to be targeted to your audience. And if you can't think of things that are going to be targeted to your audience, just leave it out because, yeah, it's not going to get engagement if they don't find it engaging. Okay. So you mentioned insights. Now, people say like, check your insights. What are you checking for? Can you walk me through like, is this the insights on the Instagram tab? 
Oh, the Instagram app? Or do you use yeah. like if you're using a third party platform, they have insights? Like what are you looking for in your insights? Yeah. So I think it kind of, I guess, depends on what you are wanting out of Instagram. For a lot of people, it's going to be probably website clicks if they're wanting people to go off to their website or, you know, clicking on the product tags if you're tagging your products and that kind of thing. So I usually, I guess the main ones I look at are going to be those website clicks, profile visits, saves and shares are really good ones as well. Of course, you are looking at the likes and comments, I guess that's kind of the main one you're going to look at, but that's not always as important because the website clicks, I guess, are going to be when people actually go and convert and um, contact you and buy your services or products. So I'd say probably website clicks for most people are going to be a really important one to look at. And you can find those just in your individual post insights. So you can see for that individual post, how many website clicks that has got, how many profile visits, shares, saves, all that kind of stuff in the individual post. Um, You can also see when you're using hashtags, how many impressions you've actually got from hashtags as a whole. So that's a good way to see if your hashtags are working, if you need to change it up a bit, if they are working, you know, to get more eyeballs on your posts. And then there's also the profile insights, which I don't look at as much. They're mostly, I guess, your demographics, so exactly who's following you, where it's female, male, age groups, um, locations. There is a good thing to look at in your profile insights. It's when your audience is online. So they kind of give you the best days. It's usually every day because people are just on Instagram all the time. (laughs) But it gives you the best time kind of for each day of when your specific audience is online the most. And that's kind of a good indication of when you should post and when you're going to get the most engagement. So those are probably the main insights that I'd look at on Instagram itself. You can use third-party tools to kind of aggregate it all and kind of get an overall engagement rate. Engagement rate's a good one to look at, but you do need to use a third-party tool for that. But yeah, those are probably the main ones. Okay. So I just got a bunch of questions from there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> With your website clicks and those sort of stats that you mentioned, mm. those metrics, is there some sort of benchmark ratio you're looking for in terms of like website clicks or are you more looking at overall growth or overall, you know, compared to your past performance? Or is there some sort of like benchmark you're looking for 1% of people to or 1% of engagers to click through to your site? Is there anything like that? Yeah, I don't really look at benchmarks for those specific things. I kind of look at it, yeah, more on past performance and also seeing which types of content get the most website clicks is really interesting. And then you kind of know those those are the pieces of content that are converting, whereas your other ones might just be, yeah, that valuable content or that entertaining content. Also, the only one I would look at kind of as a benchmark is maybe your engagement rate. So you can see based on other people in your industry, what their kind of engagement rates are. There are tools online. Um, I really like Icona Square as one. And you can also see kind of your stats compared to your competitors. And that's really cool to look at. It's definitely something I wouldn't be looking at all the time and kind of getting hung (laughs) up on because I know a lot of people see like they have this many followers. I only have this many followers. They're growing and I'm not growing and they can get kind of stressed out. Yeah, they may need to see like a psychologist. Yeah, literally. (laughs) So don't look at it too much, but um, it is kind of something to look at once in a while and just see how you're stacking up um, and seeing those benchmarks as well as kind of a goal. But yeah, just don't get hung up on it too much. (laughs) Okay. So don't get too hung up on that stuff. That's fine. What about (laughs) hashtags? When you said hashtags, you know, how much, what's the best way to do your hashtag research? Because I think for me, I'm just like, I'll just throw a bunch of hashtags up there and hope that someone finds me. So how do you actually do that hashtag research? 
Yeah, so I do find a lot of people just kind of do, yeah, when they do a post, they just pop a little few hashtags in there and go for it, which is fine, but it's not really, yeah, the best strategy for the best I feel personally results. attacked. <laughs> I'm attacking you. Don't yeah. get wrong, no. <laughs> yeah, definitely I'd suggest kind of getting a few sets in place. So when I say sets, I mean you can have, you know, up to 30 on each post. So you can have a few different sets, say two to three of 30 hashtags or up to 30, as many as you can get that are relevant. And by having these different ones, it means you can kind of alternate between them depending on the type of content. So they're always going to be relevant to that content and that kind of thing. And it also means you have them saved. You've looked at them previously. You know they're all kind of strong hashtags that are relevant. Um, Of course, you check your insights once you're using them and see if they actually are working for you. But you have them saved. And then when you go and plan your content or post in the moment, they're there and you don't have to kind of worry about it, which is awesome. So how I kind of find those sets of 30, I'd say first looking at some of your competitors, seeing what they're using. Of course, don't just copy the whole hashtag set because it's not always going to work for you the same way it works for them. But you will probably find some that are relevant. So take some of those, put them in your set. Then I usually search for a hashtag that I think might work. So usually probably have some in mind that you think are going to work. You can go on those hashtags, see kind of how many posts they have, see how active it is. I usually steer clear of those hashtags that have heaps of posts. So probably more than like 500,000 just isn't really the best way to go just because they are so large and the likelihood that you actually show up in them is pretty low. So I'd probably stick to those small hashtags that you still are active and still get reach and posts, but they aren't, you know, crazy busy and you do actually have a chance of showing up in them. Also, when you do search those hashtags, you will see usually a whole bunch of related hashtags and that's kind of a good way to get a few at a time. You can kind of add them to your set. Also, if you are in a Facebook group that has your target market in it and they have a hashtag, I think like business chicks is one and there's a few different ones, then their members are going to be using that hashtag and looking at the hashtag and if they're in your target market. So for me, they are because they're business owners. By using that hashtag, you'll kind of be in front of their members. So that's kind of a good way to get a few as well. Amazing. That was all Amazing. Great. (laughs) (laughs) um, We've sort of touched on, you know, you can use those third-party apps. Do you have a preference over what third-party app that you use for your clients? Or if you're just getting started out and you want to start scheduling your posts and not just Mm. doing it on the fly, what would kind of be like a a good entry-level third-party app that you would recommend? Yeah. So, I've definitely found it's probably personal preference on which one you like the best. I know myself, I've done the free trial of, I think, every scheduling platform out there when I was first starting out to find the one that I liked best. Personally, I liked Buffer the best. Um, I just found it really easy to use and for what I needed it for and what my clients needed it for, it worked really well. But I know a lot of other people use Later, Planoli. They're both really popular. There's another one called Plan um, with two N's. There's heaps out there. Get Social, I've heard, or Scared. Get Social, yeah, yeah. I tried that one as well. I tried them all. <laughs> You're like, got but, a um, membership, <laughs> had a membership. Yeah, yeah I've got free trials and everything. So it's just about finding what you'll use and what works best for yeah. you, I guess. Yeah, what layout you prefer, what you know features you prefer. They all have kind of different layouts and features, so it really just depends on what you're after, I think. But definitely, yeah, try if you do the free trials and see what works best. Just shop around. I use later yeah. at the moment and I, I yeah. you know, I find it's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. I enjoy that. I've heard people saying that more and more that DMs are a really important part of your Instagram strategy. Can you speak a bit about that? Yeah. So I think they can be used really well to build those relationships. I definitely wouldn't kind of go and 
cold DM a bunch of people and say, you know, sell your products or services. I wouldn't approach it in that way. (laughs) But um, it is really good to build those relationships. A good way to do it is if there are, you know, people you might want to work with, people in your target market, follow them and actually reply to their stories because that gets you in their DMs straight away. Of course, they can choose to reply or ignore you if they like, but most of the time, if you've taken the time. Oh, so if you're a story, it doesn't go to the others folder. If they're not following you, it will go to the request. Mm. Yeah, either way. So even if you go on their profile and DM them just straight away, if they're not following you already, it will go in their request. So yeah, they can kind of accept or decline. You'll be like, <laughs> but, um <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But usually, you know, if you've taken the time to reply to their story with something meaningful, not just like an emoji or something boring, something <laughs> meaningful <laughs> that they actually want to reply to, you know, that's going to get you the best chance of them accepting and replying to you. And then you yeah, just start a conversation. Again, don't be salesy. Don't really try to sell. I've found it works best when you're yeah, honestly just having a conversation. You might finish that conversation, but now you have that relationship and you reply to each other's stories in the future and keep building on it. And then, you know, down the track, they might contact you to buy your products, engage in your services. It's definitely happened to me a lot. Also, I find the DMs really good for interacting with people in your same industry I know as a service provider myself, I've gotten a lot of referrals from people actually in the same kind of industry as me or other digital marketers. And it might seem counterintuitive because, you know, they're technically competitors and they're not your target market, but it does really work well for referrals. You know, they might be at capacity or they might get an inquiry that's not exactly what they do. And then then when you have that relationship with them, they're going to pass that on to you. So, there's a few ways you can do it, but yeah, I just love talking to people in the DMs all the time. So I'm just on Instagram all day talking to people. <laughs> and when you genuinely enjoy it and you're not yet thinking of it as a sales opportunity, then that's definitely when it works the best. And so does that actually increase, help the algorithm then show you in their stories up the top and, you know, your posts in their feed? Does that work that way as well? Yeah, yeah. So that is a form of engagement. So you'll find kind of once you've messaged someone a few times, um, reply to their stories or like their posts, they'll start showing up in your feed a lot more. So it's definitely, yeah, a form of engagement. And once they start replying to you and doing the same to you, that means you're going to show up in their feed a lot more. So it is a good way to kind of not force that engagement and for you to be in their algorithm, but it is definitely an added advantage of, you know, having those conversations. Yeah. Okay. Well, I feel like I could talk to you forever about Instagram strategy, (laughs) but I want to talk also about the other side that you do some Facebook ads as well. Can you just first give me like three quick tips that you would say to people to grow their account or have a successful Instagram account? What would be like three main tips that you would say? Yes. Okay. My first one would be, I know this is probably a bit broad, but just have a strategy, know what you're doing. Mm. Um, I know a lot of like people have a game kind plan. of, yeah, a lot of people just kind of go on their Instagram, post photos and don't really have a plan behind them to know exactly Again, what they're I posting. I feel personally attacked. <laughs> <laughs> and why they're posting. I think every post usually should have a why behind it. And also, I guess, kind of an action, like, you know, Once someone reads this, you know what um, you want them to do, whether that's commenting, whether that's DMing you, whether that's going to your website. And that doesn't have to be obvious to them, but I guess kind of, you know, in your head what the purpose of this post is. Also in that strategy is going to be kind of growth tactics and really just having a plan is important, I think. Um, So that'd probably be my first one. Mm -hmm. My second one would be to actually be active on Instagram Mm. in terms of posting, but also in terms of engaging with other people. 
and your Instagram stories. So I know it's a lot to do, but really you do have to kind of be active on Instagram to really grow and be engaging with other people and nurturing those relationships. I find a lot of people do have a plan for their content and that's awesome and they post their posts, but then they just kind of leave Instagram alone. They're not replying Mm. to comments. They're not, yeah, nurturing those relationships. They're not posting Instagram stories. Um, Instagram stories are really important for that algorithm and to get your engagement up. So that's definitely something I think is important. It's not really a set and forget Instagram. Whereas Facebook, I think when you're posting, it can be a bit more set and forget. Um, Of course, you do have to reply to comments and that kind of thing, but it's not like you're going out and actively engaging. And the third one would be... Definitely quality over quantity um, when it comes to your posts. Mm. I see a lot of people posting, you know, multiple times a day or even once a day, but the posts they're posting just aren't quality. They're, you know, those broad quotes that the target market doesn't care about or they're, yeah, quick posts like Happy Friday, like no one wants to read that. (laughs) I'm being harsh now. Because you're saying like, yeah, you're like so judgy. It's because you see like big accounts with a lot of followers, mm. but they'll, the engagement rate will be really low. So do you, do you yeah. think that that applies to the following as well, like quality over quantity, that you can have a really small but engaged following, that that's better than like overall numbers isn't necessarily a metric that you should have in your in your goal? It might be more of a vanity or an ego-based metric? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, followers isn't something that I look at a lot and I encourage my clients kind of not to worry about that. Obviously, it's great when your account's growing. You do want your account to be consistently growing. But if you have, you know, 10,000 followers and you're not getting that engagement to show that you have 10,000 followers, then you can see that they're not quality and other people will see that as well. So I definitely think if you have a smaller following, but it's really high quality, you're getting great engagement. That's so much more important than, yeah, having that kind of vanity metric of 10,000 followers or 100,000 followers. It really doesn't Mm. matter. So, yeah, definitely kind of be focusing on that engagement and the quality rather than the follower number. I think I sort of liken that because my specialty is Google ads and mm. a lot of people get hung up on, well, how many clicks have I had? And I'm like, yeah. clicks isn't something I focus on because clicks is a byproduct of getting conversions or sales. So you want to focus on the sales or the overall, like the engagement, if I'm likening that back to your Instagram account, the followers is a byproduct. Your followers will naturally grow if you've got a high quality account and high quality engagement. Whereas if you're focusing only on the followers, you're missing out on the main point of running your Instagram account, which is actually to market your business or to engage with people. So I think that that on the Google ad side of things, I say to people like, don't get hung up on the clicks or the impressions. It doesn't mean anything unless you're actually getting results from that. Um, It's all like performance-based. So I think that probably makes sense in my brain now. So don't get hung up on the followers. Yes, you summed that up very well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Um, So let's move on to just to briefly chat about your the Facebook side as well. So how do you combine you know the social media strategy and management side with the Facebook side? Yeah, so I think um, I definitely like getting that organic side working well first and getting that engagement up there. I know a lot of people kind of think that they need to do Facebook ads straight away and their organic strategy just isn't really up to scratch. So I definitely focus on doing that organic first because, you know, that is an audience you can target in Facebook ads. I was going to say, like, you would be able to go nuts with having, like, lookalike and engaged audiences and stuff like that. That would really play into it when you've got both working well. Yeah, for sure. And also, obviously, your other marketing activities 
to get that website traffic because, again, another audience you can target mm. um, and use in lookalike. So you do kind of want to have strong audiences beforehand. You can do Facebook ads, you know, obviously just targeting cold people, but that takes a lot more time, a lot more testing, a lot more money, kind of mm. not thrown down the drain because it's thrown into testing, but people, the business owners definitely see it as thrown down the drain because they're not getting sales straight away. So I definitely usually warm up those audiences as much as you can first through non-paid advertising and then kind of, or even Google ads, and then go into that Facebook ads using retargeting, but also using lookalikes and other detailed targeting audiences. Yeah. And so you do a lot of your clients, you work both services or is it mainly like you do one service for one and then you've got separate Facebook ad clients, like, or do some of them, you do both? Yeah. So I think all my organic social media management clients, I'm also doing Facebook ads for now. Yeah. It didn't start like that. They were just going to do organic. But then once we kind of build that up, they were like, oh, let's try Facebook ads. And I was like, yeah. Mm. (laughs) So then we kind of started doing Facebook ads. So yeah, I think for all of them now I'm doing both. But then I also have a lot more clients that I'm just doing Facebook ads for. They do their own social media. They do it really well. They don't need help. So yeah, I do the Facebook ad side of things. And when I went into this business, I didn't plan on doing Facebook ads. I was just kind of going to be doing the organic. But um, one of my clients actually asked if I could do their Facebook ads. And I did um, one of the digital picnics trainings for Facebook ads. And yeah, I just really loved it. And I kind of saw that I could do it and that I was kind of good at it, obviously from the training. (laughs) And yeah, kind of grew from there. And now most of my clients are Facebook ads. Amazing. That's great. Because I bloody love Facebook ads as well. And I think that, mm. you know, you offering both services, having the social media, which really plays into the ability to use those audiences. Can you talk about what are some of those main tips that you would use, you know, on Facebook ads? Like what are some core things that you need to make sure that you're doing if you're running an e-com store? Yeah. So I guess the first one, which isn't really related to Facebook ads, but having those warm audiences, which I spoke about before and building those up through other ways. The second one would be really knowing what your objective is. A lot of e-com stores, they just want sales. So a lot of the time we're using those conversion campaigns. But with those cold audiences, we might be optimizing for, you know, view content or add to cart and finding those people that just will go to their website, maybe look around, maybe add to cart, but probably not going to purchase. And then we're kind of retargeting with those really heavy conversion purchase campaigns. Also something I see a lot of people doing wrong when they start Facebook ads is piling a whole lot of audiences into kind of one ad set. Mm. Um, So at the ad set level is where we, you know, choose the audiences and you really need to be splitting them out into different Mm. ad sets. If you don't, um, which I'm sure I don't really know how Google ads work in terms of how you set them up, (laughs) but I'm sure it's kind of the same thing. It is, yeah. You do need to split them out. You don't know how that audience is performing. You can't really, you can actually Google, you can actually segment and see the different audiences, how they're performing, which is good. In Facebook, you can't. So you kind of have to Mm. split it out at the ad set level to be able to distinguish that, which is, you know, I'm a control freak. So I like to have, I like to be able to see, and then you can narrow down which audiences are working well and which aren't. When it comes to Facebook ads, I just want to talk about ad creative before we wrap up. Mm. Ad creative, what are some things that, businesses can do to because ultimately the ad creative is what's going to initially get that the person in the Facebook or the Instagram feed or the Instagram story placement and just so I'm clarifying when we're talking about Facebook ads that applies that's the overall name but that applies to both Instagram ads as well it's a it's just a placement type but what are some of those you know key tips you can share for 
creative when you're using Instagram and Facebook ads? Yeah. So the first tip would be to have kind of a wide variety at the start and definitely be testing different types, whether that's you have one image, you have one graphic, you have one video, you have one carousel. There's a whole different type of different creatives you can use. And I definitely do suggest testing as many as you can, especially when you're starting your ads to see what your audience is resonating with. If you just go in with one image, you really only have that one chance to capture their interest. And if it doesn't work, you might think, you know, that your whole campaign isn't working or your audience isn't working, but it might just be that they weren't resonating with that specific creative and they do need something else. So that would be my first tip. Another one would be really focus in on the copy. I see a lot of Facebook ads just with kind of boring copy. Maybe it's just, yeah, new styles in now come shop. Like that's (laughs) boring to people. So I definitely try and be as creative as I can with the copy and really speak to the audience. Um, You know, if you are segmenting out those audiences, you can get specific with the kind of things you're speaking about. If you're targeting parents in one, you can talk about their children, that kind of thing. Also, really thinking about the copy when it comes to cold and warm audiences. For cold, it's likely that they've never heard of your business before, don't know what you sell, don't know what you're about, don't know your story. So, you really want to be talking about that in the creative. Whereas warm, they've heard of you before, they might have already seen that ad, gone to your website, or they might already be, you know, one of your followers. So, probably know a little bit about you. And that's more when you kind of go to that sell. Um, You're showing them specific products that they might have looked at already and that kind of thing, really getting that sell in that bottom of funnel. Fantastic tips. Fantastic everything. So (laughs) I just want to, before we wrap up, I just want to ask a couple of more personal style questions. Mm. So how have you found the impact of friendships when you are such a young entrepreneur and maybe a lot of your peers aren't or your friends aren't necessarily business owners? Has that had an impact on your friendships? Not really. I do definitely find, I guess, that I have to be strong myself in terms of saying no to things when I can't do things. I think they know that I have my own business, so they think that means I can just do whatever I want, really. They're like, yeah. you can take Wednesday off, right? Yeah, you're like, like, no, oh. I have lots to do. <laughs> so it's definitely kind of, I think, being strong in terms of, yeah, saying no to things when you can't do things and kind of putting your foot down sometimes and saying just, you know, because I have my own business doesn't mean I can take sick days or doesn't mean I can go out drinking during the week or anything like that. Mm. So, yeah, I am pretty strict when it comes to that, which I think has really helped me. But it hasn't impacted any of my friendships. They, you know, are starting to understand as we go Mm. along. But, um, yeah, they're really great and they, um, you know, don't see it as an issue at all. They, you know, have full-time jobs during the week, so it's not a huge impact or anything like that. I do definitely find that having that support network and those friendships I've made on Instagram with other business owners has been a real help because Mm. I can't really talk to my friends about business owner things because they just don't understand. Whereas having those kind of Instagram friends who some I've met in real life, some I've never met, but I'm really close with, which is really cool. Having those people that I can talk to, I can rant to, I can ask questions really has helped my business, but also my mental health and my sanity, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think um, what you said made me laugh about, you know, you can't just take a sick day or take, they think, because you work for yourself. That used to, ha- well, that still would happen to me now is that mm. because I have my own business, people think that I'm just on like maternity leave and I can just kind of pick up yeah. and go out whenever I want. But it's actually, you know, you have to be really structured with how you approach your days, um, especially me, I've got kids. So it's also that adds another layer of like commitments Mm. on top of that. But like back when I was your age and I had my business, I remember like people would just be like, let's just go out, you know, 
midday. I'm like, no, I've got actually a business that I'm running. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. But the other last thing I wanted to know is what are the best things about running a business as a young entrepreneur and what are the worst? Yeah. Okay. Let's start with a positive note. Um, <laughs> we'll end on a negative. Oh, uh, maybe. Okay. I'll go negative first because I want to end, we'll end on a We'll end on a downer. <laughs> okay. I'll go negative first. The worst things probably just maybe that prejudice around age. And mm. I think I haven't had anyone, you know, say anything to me specifically, but I know if people knew my age all the time, maybe when I was just starting to work with them and they heard my age, they might be a bit put off by that. Of course, some people actually might prefer that because they know that I've kind of grown up in that social media age, you know, surrounded by digital all the time. So some people definitely do prefer it, but there definitely is prejudice around age and that younger people, you know, don't try as hard, they're lazy, they, you know, drop out of school, all this type of stuff. So (laughs) yeah, there's definitely a bit of that, but I've been pretty lucky so far in that no one said anything to my face. (laughs) And of course, my lovely clients understand and they don't have an issue with it at all. Mm -hmm. Also a bit of, I guess, intimidation with my own age. And when I kind of meet business owners that are a lot older than me, have a lot more experience, I think I do kind of get a bit of that imposter syndrome And I'm like, why am I doing this business when there's these people that have so much more experience and so much more knowledge and older and they know what they're doing with their life? Um, So, yeah, (laughs) definitely a bit of that. I think that's just a facade, though. I don't think anyone gets to the point (laughs) where they're like, I'm sorted and I'm a boss. Yeah, okay, that's good then. (laughs) You'll always feel like that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, that's really the only negatives and they are things that over time, will get better and, you know, my confidence will grow and all that kind of stuff. Positives, I'll end on a positive note. (laughs) Definitely that freedom, which isn't just as a young business owner, it's as a business owner as general, but I think being young, having the freedom to kind of do what you want to do, work in something that you love is really Mm. rare and I feel very lucky that I've kind of found this so early on and that I love what I do every day and that I do have the freedom to you know, travel if I want to. I really haven't done much traveling in my life. So that definitely is something that I do want to do in the next few years or when we can. Yeah, I know. It's like, <laughs> um, and then Corona came along. Yeah, literally. But yeah, I guess I just kind of do have that freedom now to be able to do that kind of stuff. Whereas if I was working a nine to five, it's hard to get time off. Also, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a musician. So I do need that flexibility in my work in terms of sometimes I need to go sing at a festival. Sometimes I need to go travel to a gig that kind of thing. So yeah, it's been really cool to be able to kind of work my own hours. As I said, I'm pretty strict with when I work and the hours that I work, which has been really good because, you know, I always have that motivation. I always get my stuff done, but I have been learning to, you know, take days off when I need them and not feel guilty about it. I think it's empowering to just be in charge of your own schedule and not have to be necessarily nine to five that, you know, you're going to get your stuff done, but you can do it on your own time and you don't have to be necessarily beholden to anyone else's schedule I think that's really important yeah and also it's I think probably something that maybe people that aren't in a business like yours that you love what you do that it can be really foreign to actually think of work as like your exciting time for me I love work so much that I'm like this is my like me time kind of thing yeah but I think that's a really unique outlook in that when I say to my husband like oh, I get to do work now. He's like, what? You know, he couldn't, that's not his, you know, idea of like a great day (laughs) going to work. Mm, Yeah, working. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that's a really, you know, privileged part of running a business Mm. that you love is that you do, I mean, there are a lot of responsibility and a lot of 
crappy aspects that come along with that, but yeah. just the genuine love of and passion is a really important part of it. So thank you so much for chatting to me today. I think you've just been amazing and you're such a great person to follow on social media and I think everyone should go and follow you. So where can people connect with you online and get in touch or follow you? Thank you so much. That's made me feel very warm and fuzzy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I'm obviously on Instagram all the time. As I've mentioned, um, my Instagram is just Blossom Media with an underscore at the end because I couldn't get Blossom Media. I know. I I couldn't get Katie Griffin either. And it's like an inactive account and it drives me nuts. And I'm like, just like piss off, you know? Yeah. Give me my name. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's definitely where I am active the most. Of course, I have a Facebook page too. Um, I also have a website which I'm revamping at the moment. So depending on when you go to it, it might be the brand new website. But um, yeah, definitely Instagram is the place I'm at the most. I'm posting a lot of tips, a lot of educating, and of course, my personal stuff as well. So you can get to know me a bit. But yeah, I'm on there all the time. So would love for you to come and chat. Woohoo! Well, thank you so much for chatting to me today. Thank you so much. I had a blast. (laughs) Well, I hope you enjoyed that chat with Chelsea as much as I did. She was so fantastic and I can't wait to see what she does next and to follow her online. She's just such a great young entrepreneur and I love it. So all her links are in the show notes. Make sure you do connect with her and chuck her a follow and tell her that you heard her on this episode. And if you want to follow me, I'm at katiegriffin underscore and my website is sundaydigital.com.au and let me know what you thought of this chat and make sure you follow, you subscribe and you leave a rating and review. I would really appreciate it as that helps other people find this podcast. And then I'm one closer to my step of podcast domination. (laughs) So I will chat to you on the next episode of Smart Online Marketing. Have a great week.